This is the Dallas Morning News. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm food editor Aaron Bookie, and I host our food podcast at the Dallas Morning News called Eat Drink DFW. Each week, we're dropping a segment of the show right here in this feed. If you want to hear the full show and make sure you never miss an episode, then just search for Eat Drink DFW wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links for it at dallasnews.com slash listen. Happy eating. Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food after this for information on our show. We also want to hear about your favorite dishes and restaurants, so please share with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be talking with Dallas restaurateur Greg Katz, but right now I'm joined by food writers Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller to talk about what's trending. So, guys, Sarah. Yeah, you- yes. <laughs> <laughs> Reporting for duty. <laughs> you wrote a series of stories recently about the Chili's chicken crispers. I'm so and delighted. It was my favorite story to edit all week. Because Thanks. I think the word crisper or crispy or something was in there maybe 80 times. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Is that Possib- a favorite word? Possibly more. <laughs> and one of the dishes is called crispy chicken crispers. I know. So that's exactly. basically the same word three times. It is. Yeah, so here's what happened. Chili's, which is headquartered in Dallas, removed the original chicken crispers from the menus everywhere. Now, people of a certain age, including me, mm-hmm. geriatric millennials, if you will, but also people a little bit older, Gen a little Xers. bit younger. Yep. Yeah, remember that since the early 90s, these were the chicken crispers at Chili's. And they're tempura battered, so they're soft on the outside. They're not crunchy crispy on the outside like the newer, more popular chicken crispy crisper renos that's not the word um that chili's now has so chili says that 80 percent of their tendies came from the newer chicken crisper so they got rid of the one of my childhood and i thought there was a news moment here and yep. i was right because i told twitter about it and like people exploded and reddit was already having a hard time there's a whole reddit thread about how upset people are that they thought the original chicken crispers were gone and then i confirmed it and then it was like oh no yeah. so Really, Twitter was a beautiful place on Thursday and Friday for people in mourning. Yeah, um, There were so many feelings. And so after I wrote this news story and the Today Show picked it up, then I wrote a reaction story the next day about just how people were feeling. You know, one guy called it the worst day of his life. Yep. <laughs> Words like devastating. It was just, um, it hit really hard for yeah. those of us of a certain age. And for anybody who hasn't had the original chicken crispers, first of all, you can't now, so I'm sorry. But it was chicken tenders with a corn on the cob, fries and honey mustard some people would sub in gravy which I do think was a good choice but it was it was honey mustard all the way for me and now those are gone so day or month of mourning Mm -hmm. for the original chicken crispers and Erin I'm delighted that you loved these stories because I possibly loved them more yes and I feel like Chili's started the whole chicken tender with those things yeah you know and the honey mustard side I don't really remember having that combo before Uh Chili's kind of started that and And then it became quintessential kid food exactly was this were they on the kids menu or no like no because they're massive they're like it is like a huge dish I mean I feel like on people's tombstones now there it's going to be like she loved 
the original chicken crispers. <laughs> yes. this, is, this is a moment in time, you guys. And the crispy, crispier ones are not the same. They're not the same. Um, some people have come out on Twitter to say that they do like them as well, mm-hmm. which was not popular among the OGs. <laughs> but, you know, I can't speak. I haven't had the, the newer ones yet because I was original chicken crispers person. But now we all need to take a trip back to Chili's, even though half of Twitter says they're boycotting the place altogether. Oh, wow. Give them a shot. That's maybe, very dramatic. Maybe the crispity, crunchity chicken crisperino cappuccinos <laughs> are really good. I don't know. All right. So speaking of crispy, crunchy stuff, I discovered a new show on Netflix that I think you guys will like called Snack versus Chef. Okay. I know a lot of these like Netflix food shows are mostly kind of lame, but I feel like this show really dives into the science. There's a lot of depth to it. And so it's a bunch of professional chefs competing for, I think, like 50 grand or something, but they have to recreate popular snacks. Oh, basically like Trader Joe's does every day. Yes. Well, but this is like, like this by is hand. kind of a sick burn. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so it, so, it sounds like they took Bon Appetit's uh, Claire Saffitz kind of. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. She would like recreate Oreos and Cheetos yep. and things like that in a very sciencey, chef way. I wonder if she's way. getting a cut, Claire. Probably not. Probably I would, not. I would think not. Okay. Yeah. The main judge, his name is Ali Buzari, and he is actually a culinary scientist. And I looked him up. He studied biochemistry at UT Austin. And he always has just really interesting feedback for the chefs when they're trying to recreate things. So the first episode, I think, was Cheetos, hot Cheetos. Oh, man. And it was so hard for them to get the crunch. Like this whole show is about the crunch and it's very, very difficult, I think, for like chefs to get that by hand. Was the flaming Hot part also hard? I think the flavor, they were able to kind of get the flavor. That part was easier than getting the texture of the Cheeto. Mm-hmm. You know, Which we all know. was like a bit soggy, Ugh. a bit too cornstarchy. Yeah, and if that's off, I mean, you're over. You, you know, yeah. everyone's like had like knockoff brands of things like that. Not and the same. Usually yeah. it comes down to texture, I think, of right. things not being the same. Yeah. And it was just interesting to me that because these snacks are so heavily processed and machine made, how hard it could possibly be to recreate them by hand, like with just like a little fryer or something. Like, is it God telling us that we should just let the big guys do it? Maybe so. Or just not eat these things. Oh, Claire. (laughs) Also that. (laughs) Like maybe if this is impossible to make by hand, maybe you shouldn't be eating it. Yeah. It was, it was interesting because also the, the Pringles episode was also funny because them trying to get the shape, which I learned is called the hyperbolic parabola. Mm, I kind of remember that from school. Yeah. Geometry, right? Yeah. yeah. Hyperbolic parabola. And so them trying to like recreate the shape by hand was kind of hilarious. And I kind of also like the show because not everyone succeeds. <laughs> you know, like most other shows, it's like, oh, I could never do that because this person's so amazing and makes you feel like uh, I suck in the kitchen. But watching like professional chefs recreate these things and like really fail badly. A good TV fail is delicious. Yes. And it was really good. But sometimes there are some really interesting. They also come up with their own snacks. And some of them have come up with some really interesting ones. But it was really about the science of snacking. Like, what is a good snack? You know, the crunch, you know, and someone created something that was like a rose shape. So it gets a lot more uh, surface area for dipping. And it was like, oh, look at the cling that this good chip gets you know from the dip and i was just like oh wow this is i will really totally watch in. this Aaron. Yes. that's yeah. a great suggestion good tv rack i i just finished white lotus not a food show well no it's no. not a food show there food there's food involved? in it yeah uh yeah claire were you with, without any spoilers were you huh? pleased with the way this great show ended second season i was Ooh. i was it I, was not what i was expecting and i had theories some of my theories were right oh 
and some not. I can't wait to watch. I it's have no good. idea who's going to die, but I've, I've killed everyone in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Sarah, you had a really interesting story recently about the AT&T food hall. It was really fascinating and revealing, I think, about just the structure of these things and how people make money or how they don't make money. Yes, um, this was a business story, kind of a behind the scenes, how things work story, which are really fun to tell, but they have to be interesting for eaters, even if you haven't ever owned a business. Basically, the thrust of this story is that the AT&T Food Hall in downtown Dallas is a place the mayor eats several times a week. It is vibrant. It is beautiful. And the mix of restaurant owners is, in my opinion, really cool. So it's setting itself up to be this really wonderful place. Well, then a couple of months ago, I got wind that the tenants were just really struggling to make any money because there weren't enough customers down there and because they were promised AT&T employees that were then not in the office, like we're seeing so many places in major downtowns everywhere. So they were just counting on a lot more people to come. On top of that, their rent model is different than it is in other areas. So they give 18% of their sales back to AT&T. That's all their rent. That's everything that they pay to the company. But if you're not making very much money, you're giving away a lot of money because the, the business case behind it is you still have to pay your people and you still have to pay for food costs and both labor and food costs are going up right now. Right. And so I had a lot of AT&T tenants explain to me why they're just really concerned. And the concern is couched inside the idea that they love this place. So there's a lot of tension there, right? Like they want certainly to survive and make money, but also they like it. This is a place to feed people in downtown Dallas, both workers and tourists and people who live there. It should be interesting to see both with this food hall and with other food halls, how a winning business model can be created so that the person who owns it makes money, which is always the point. And so that the food hall tenants inside, you know, kind of these small business owners can also make a little bit of money. I like the original idea of the food hall. It seemed like they were almost trying to make it like a showcase of local food talent. You know, these are a lot yes. of big local restaurateurs who have successful businesses. There's Easy Slider, Babushi, Monkey King, and they even had a Revolver Taco that left. I mean, I like the idea that we're really showcasing Dallas talent, but it concerns me that that model is not going to, to work. Yeah, I think time will tell. There was a lot of reaction to the story, including a bunch of chefs off the record who came to me and said, gosh, I wanted to be in there, but I didn't think I could make the math work. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's hard for them to watch some of their friends struggling with that math that they tried to do themselves and realize, I don't know if I can make it work. But I think it goes uh, without saying, but I will, that the people who are there want it to succeed. And people like me, I work down the street. Like, I like to eat there, too. Right. You yeah. know? So we would like to see this place succeed, but they need help from their landlord, who's AT&T. Yep. One of the things people keep talking about is the parking issue, mm -hmm. where to park, can they valet? And right now during the week, it is pretty difficult to park before 5 p.m. You just kind of have to find a spot that's not on the AT&T campus on Saturdays and Sundays. And after 5 p.m., you can park in some of their garages. But one of the disappointments for someone who owns a restaurant on that campus called Hawthorne, this restaurant owner, Richard Elman, had valet and they discontinued it. So, and he has since asked for it to come back because if you're coming to downtown Dallas after dark, you may not want to walk a couple of blocks for an upscale dinner, whether because you can't or you don't want to. And so parking is an issue and it, it has been an issue from the beginning. Yeah, I kind of wonder if the downtown district is sort of depending on people to Uber everywhere. I think the argument can be made in so many other cities that there isn't parking and people figure it out. The trouble is Dallas is just not New York City. Yeah. So, I mean, so many people we know who live in New York City don't own a car and are just fine. Unfortunately, that argument doesn't work in downtown Dallas or doesn't work yet. 
Yeah, I think yeah. it's a yet thing. I mean, it's going to have to change, I think. Yeah. Um, we're looking at big growth already happening and going to continue to happen in downtown Dallas. Um, and the model doesn't work to have the amount of parking that people are accustomed to having. I mean, you look at every other major city and they're not as parking dependent as Dallas is. You also look at Dallas County's parking requirement for new buildings. It's a little antiquated compared to other cities. Uh, there's a pretty significant parking requirement in terms of how many spaces are required for new buildings. And that just kind of indicates that we are still a very car dependent city. It makes dining out in places like downtown tough. But I don't know. I don't know what the solution is to that. Well, if anybody's interested in the food hall story, you can find it at dallasnews.com slash food. It was a big deal for me to write. I talked to well over a dozen people about it and many more off the record. And I hope it gives you a glimpse inside just one of the things that restaurant owners and landlords deal with as they navigate that business and try to make money. Thanks, guys. Stick around. We're going to talk with Greg Katz and then we'll respond to some listener feedback. Eat, drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.